Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Amen. What's up, Grace Bible? Man, good to see you guys, y'all folks online. Thanks for tuning in and, and being a part of our worship service today. Uh, I, I definitely want to echo what they're saying. I love every opportunity we get to partner with the, the body of Christ for the sake of kingdom work. And so it, it is a privilege to get to partner with uh, First Baptist Church of Sebring just in partnership for a, just a gospel-centered, life-giving, Spanish-speaking community. And who knows what's going to come out of that, but we look forward to being a part of that along the way uh, there, there's another situation that popped up um, this past week uh, that we were not expecting. It was a very unique situation that rop, r- washed up on our shore, and so I want to I want to put a name up here on the screen. I want you to be praying uh, for the name for this church right here, Oakview Baptist Church, Okeechobee. All right, uh, some of y'all are from Okeechobee that attend church here at GBC. You probably heard the name. Maybe you've even attended there before, Oakview. Baptist Church in Okeechobee uh, just this past week experienced some extraordinary tragedy. Unexpectedly, their lead pastor passed away. Um, not an old dude. I mean, probably in his mid to late 60s um, and had, uh, uh, I guess, a sleep apnea issue from what I understand that ended up putting him um, uh, going without oxygen for too long and then ended up being put on a ventilator. And I think as of about Tuesday, they took him off. Uh, life support, and by Wednesday he had passed away, and just, I mean, just shocking, you know, it's like you're just not, I listened to his sermon from a week ago online, like, I mean, just a great Bible teacher, full of life and energy, and obviously a pillar at that church, and and so we, we got an email from some web database, we don't know where it came from, they don't know where it came from, but we got some email that said, hey, be praying for uh, Oakview Baptist Church in Okeechobee, Florida, because of what's happened. And, and in typical fashion, like when we get an email like that, uh, a church experience and that kind of tragedy, we, we call and we say, hey, we, we want to let you know we're praying for you, but we also want to extend a hand if there's anything we can do to help, anything we can do to serve you during this time. And, and, I, and I left a message with the secretary. I said, even if that means Um, us, you know, filling in with the weekend teaching for a while while you're trying to figure out what to do. Well, Oakview is a Southern Baptist church. We're not. We're just an independent, non-denominational church, and they're they're a part of the big machine of the Southern Baptist Association. I was not expecting to hear back from them. Um, I got a phone call the next day from their executive pastor saying, man, we feel like it it is God's good. I mean, it is God's pleasure in us to invite you guys, Grace Bible, to come and handle our week, weekend teaching at our church while we're healing from this and while we find out what's next. And my jaw's like on the ground, like this just doesn't happen. And um, so I hadn't even talked to our elders about it yet. I just kind of volunteered us for who knows what. Um, so I sent them a, uh, I sent our e- letter, an email to our elders saying, uh, my bad, but I think we just signed up for a big project in a very critical time uh, in the life of this church. And of course, our elder team was, was all about it because we believe in the kingdom of God and the capital C church. We're, we're not about trying to build the brand of Grace Bible. We, wanna, we, are, we exist to build the kingdom of God. And like when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't go to the cross so that we could have, you know, little corporations on every street corner competing for market share that we call churches. He died on the cross that we might be one body unified around the gospel, an ecclesia movement that is reaching and saturating our community. So yeah, we meet in different places because we like different flavors of ice cream. Some of y'all love this kind of music. You hate this kind of music. Some of y'all like my teaching. Some of y'all hate my teaching, but you hang out because of the music or the children's ministry. It's just different everywhere, and that's okay. We can all be unique expressions of Jesus, but look, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body's hurting. Unfortunately, this day and age, like I think too many churches kind of sit back when something like that happens, and oh, we're so sorry, and we'll attend the funeral, but I can't wait to see who starts coming to our church now. You know what I'm saying? We ain't about that. And we're building the kingdom of God. We're practicing for heaven, so if we can serve 
a church like that, uh, we certainly want to try. So JJ, our executive pastor, and I went down there this past week and met with their entire leadership team of the church, just really casting vision for what this could look like and hearing from them on what they were hoping for, what they were afraid of, you know, with some knuckleheads like us coming in to start preaching at their church, like, it could be bad. Um, and uh, man, they, it was cool. It was just very worshipful, even tearful to spend that time together and just seeing how God had been moving in microscopic ways to bring this partnership together. So what's going to happen is um, this week they, are, uh, they had the funeral for John, the pastor, yesterday. As a church today, be praying for them because they start church in five minutes. We'll, we'll pray for them together. They're just going to have a weekend of just celebrating heaven, remembering Jesus, um, sharing testimony about how John's ministry helped lead them closer to the Lord. Uh, we got one of our pastors and one of our elders is over there today just to be present, to wrap their arms around them, to pick up some of the DNA so we don't go in there and shipwreck their wonderful church. Um, and then uh, next weekend, I'm going to go over there and teach there and just kind of cast vision for what's coming um, and how this is going to work and share our, uh, our heart for kingdom ministry partnership with them, and then we'll have a carousel of our teachers here, our, our weekend teachers, myself, Cam, Etienne, Dewey, Steve Trinkle's going to join us, uh, recently retired from Whispering Pines. Um, so we're just going to have a carousel of our Bible teachers going to go over there every Sunday, minister to that church uh, on the weekends, and try to and, and just trust the Holy Spirit to give uh, his wisdom for us to counsel them and love them through this very difficult transition in the life of their church. So you be praying for that, okay? Um, and I also kind of want to do a call out to, I, I know that we have church family that call this home, but you live in Okeechobee. Uh, I want to encourage you that if you live in Okeechobee or you're, you know, East Lake Placid, East Sebring, Lorita, like if you're, if you're kind of out that way, uh, just ask God this week if he would have you link arms with us at Oakview Baptist for the next several months or foreseeable future. I don't want to just show up and have our, our Bible teachers take the pulpit on the weekend. I want to see the body of Grace Bible come and wrap their arms around a suffering church family. And so, yeah, like, I'm, yeah, we're, we're sending you away for a time. Um, that's probably bad church polity too, but that's kingdom economics. Like, this is why we, we don't measure our success as a church in our seating capacity. We measure it in our sending capacity. And i tell you what will be powerful is like when our, our pastors and elders and teachers are ministering to them from the stage to see the, the body of Grace Bible that's already kind of in that vicinity to be wrapping our arms around them, building relationships, praying with them, having meals with them, and like really just like kingdom-sized work that we can do together as a church family. So you be praying about that. Write that down. Um, and let's just see what the Lord does. Um, during the meeting... It was interesting, and God, God took me back um, to a really powerful and, and difficult place in my life and in the life of this church. We were sitting down meeting. We had a beautiful meeting with them, and we made the, the game plan, and uh, the, their, their leadership team looked at me and said, I got to ask, like, why are y'all doing this? And I was sitting there thinking, why are we doing this? <laughs> no, I was kidding. No, it like instantly took me back to a place about eight and a half years ago when we didn't, our, our uh, lead pastor at the time didn't tragically die, but unexpectedly had to step down just because of life issues. It, it was, it felt like death. Those of you that were here, it was shocking. I remember getting up here at 27 years old and knowing that that announcement was going to be made at the end of the church service and still trying to preach a sermon, because um, obviously he couldn't, and it was like, Man, I was, that was just like, with, with trembling hand, I'm standing before the Body of Grace Bible knowing that they're about to get this grenade rolled into the room. And it was very, very difficult. But I remember walking out on the stage that weekend and looking around the room and seeing all of these faces that I know to be members and staff of Grace Church next door where at the time Dr. Randy was the pastor, uh, the guy we were planning to go to Israel with. I remember looking out there and seeing all these Grace Church people out there. Some of y'all might remember this. Brooks, I mean, y'all were here, man. It's like, I'm looking around, I'm like, what are they doing here? I just keep preaching and come to find out, because Randy, being in a close circles with us, knew what was going on, that we were about to get just the news of our church's history and just be heartbroken and crushed. He got up on stage that morning at church. They had a service about the same time. He said, hey, guys. He said, for church today, we're not going to have church here, but we're going to go next door to Grace Bible, and we're going to wrap our arms around them. 
because they're about to get some news that's going to rattle them to the core. Man, I'm, I'm going back there. Some of y'all remember that day. And so Dr. Randy, one of the most esteemed and prolific Bible teachers on planet Earth, came over here, brought his team, and took over our children's ministry. And he led the fifth grade boys class so that his staff took over all of our children's ministry so that our staff and volunteers could come over here to be a part of that discussion and a part of the news. And I'm like, man, who does this? I remember thinking the same thing Oakview's thinking about us. Like, who does this kind of thing? Well, the kingdom of God does this. It didn't stop there. Like, yeah, I got more. Yeah, but wait, there's more. Just like you, I mean, those of you that were here, I remember thinking, whew, man, how's this going to work? I remember the next weekend, I mean, I, you know, I'm getting ready for church, coming in to just fill in as the interim, you know, preacher for the weekends while we figure out what to do. And I remember thinking, man, I bet there's going to be nobody there. You know, and, and obviously with a concussion like what we experienced, like you just don't know who's going to be there, who's not. And there was, you know, there's obviously a whole bunch of folks the next weekend that didn't show up for whatever reason, and obviously because of the herd and the uns unsure. But I remember like another close church partnership with us, Bible Fellowship, who we are, I mean, very tightly knit through the Abide community. Todd's a good friend of mine. He, he prays over me through text message every morning at 6 o'clock on Sundays. He's a remarkable man, a great pastor. Well, I remember that next weekend, I'm walking out onto a stage not knowing what I'm going to see. And obviously, there was a pretty good contingent of GBC, Grace Bible people, that had landed over Bible Fellowship the next weekend. Because, you know, it's like, gosh, what do we do? You know, like, well, let's just try something else for a while. Things are too rocky. And I remember, like, Todd preaching at Bible Fellowship. He was new in that role. Uh, Harry Havery was uh, the worship leader over there at the time. I remember them. He, I heard about this, and this happened. I verified it. They walked out on stage that weekend at Bible Fellowship, seeing a whole bunch of the GBC folks sitting out there, knowing what all had happened. And Todd and Harry addressed the crowd, said, hey, we see a lot of unfamiliar faces here. We're so glad that you're here. But we just want to know, like, if you're part of the GBC family, you need to go home. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> he, you know, every other church would be sitting here like, ooh, I can't wait to see how many new people we're going to get. But not Todd, not, not Dr. Randy. They're saying, like, Todd said, GBC people, if you're here from GBC, you, you need to go back to Grace because they're suffering, and you're a family, and you need each other right now. Who does that? The kingdom of God does that. So when, when Okeechobee, or when Oakview Baptist Church looked across the table and said to me, why are y'all doing this? I was like, man, it just took me back to that place. And I'm reminded, this is what the kingdom of God is like. We're all practicing for heaven. We're all headed to the same destination. Who cares what your brand is out in front? If you're a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, gospel-centered church, like we are the body. We are one. We might gather in different buildings, but like we're going to serve one another, suffer together through the hard stuff. And so I'm, I consider it a privilege. It's going to cost us something, GBC. It's going to cost some of you travel because you're going to be running back and forth to Okeechobee every weekend. You're going to be in a church environment that, you're not, that you don't necessarily prefer, people you don't know. You're going you're gonna to see a rotation of pastors here on the weekend at Grace because we're going to be rotating over there too to serve them and counsel them. It's going to cost us something, but it's worth it. Because I tell you what, what the enemy wants is to see the churches sit back and say, ooh, I can't wait. We'd love to buy that property over there and do something with it and slap our brand on it. But the kingdom of God says no. Like We're going to link arms together for the glory of God and the good of our community and I tell you, when Oakview Baptist Church thrives through all of this, the kingdom of God will thrive. And so that's what we're going to be a part of because that's just who we are. And so be praying about that. Matter of fact, they're starting church right now. Let's pray for them. Don't listen to me pray for them. You pray for them. Well, I pray as well. I pray for John's wife and his family, who quite honestly, they're not even concerned about what's going to happen at church on Sunday. They're just, they're missing their father and their husband and their friend. God, I pray the peace of Christ would rule in their heart. I pray for the church body right now that is just like shook not sure what to do next. 
they've already experienced such hardship over the years. And now this, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer there would just resonate and testify in their heart that God is good and he is king and that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. God, I pray for this worship service they're having right now. I pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that they would see heaven, that they would see Jesus, that they would be moved towards surrender to him, that your spirit would give them a great confidence that you got this under control, that you are at work in a way more than we could ever ask or imagine. And Father, I do pray for an extraordinary resurrection of that church body. I do pray that they would thrive, that they would reach hundreds of people in the Okeechobee community, that the gospel would be made clear through this unifying partnership. Jesus prayed it in John 17. I know it's near to your heart, God, that by us being unified as one body, the world would know that Jesus is the one true king. Jesus prayed it, Father. We testified to that, and we asked for you to do big stuff through this very unique and unexpected turn of events in the life of this church and in the life of that church. Lord, glorify yourself in this. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bible, slip on over to John chapter 14. We've been in a series called Say What? We call it that because uh, as we have been reorienting ourselves around the gospel, uh, the good news that Jesus is God and that he got up off the throne of heaven and he came down to earth and he lived life with us so that he could die for us, so that he could pay the price for all of our sins, so that we could be made right with God again. Like We've been reorienting our lives around the gospel and its past, present, and future uh, work and ramifications for our lives. We've been reorienting our thinking around the Great Commission recognizing that we are all called, the work of pastoring and the priesthood and missionaries is not a unique call for just a few people with certain gifts. It's the, it's the ordinary call of everybody that calls Jesus Lord and King. And we've been reorienting our minds and our habits and our rhythms around what it would look like to be a missionary in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, amongst our friend group and family. And, um, and in doing so, like we have said some things that are a bit strange. Um, not because we just made them up and we didn't know how to put it into words, but because the Bible, as it declares the gospel to us, it declares some very mysterious things that are kind of hard to wrap our head and heart around. I mean, we talked a little bit uh, just a few weeks ago about what the gospel was and how that can also be a mystery to understand in our lives. And we talked about uh, the, the, the righteousness of Christ and how we've been made holy and what in the world that means and how that works in our lives. Just last week, we were talking about what it looked like to be image bearers of God, how we were created in the image of God. And before we were anything else, we were made in the image of God. That's the most foundational piece of our human identity. And so that should affect the way we see the world, the way we respond to the world, and ultimately our longing to see the world transformed to become children of God, which is totally different than being image bearer of God. Uh, we, we looked at that and what that meant for us. And now this week we're going to uh, be circling the runway on a phrase and an idea that we've been spitting out a lot throughout this gospel conversation over the last couple years that um, is also a bit mysterious. As a matter of fact, like Paul refers to it in Colossians as a mystery uh, revealed. Uh, and that mystery is th this, this phrase, this idea, uh, we say it a lot of different ways, so I'll just rattle off a few for you. We, we talk about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We talk about the life of Christ being in us, or Jesus living his life in us, through us, and as us. Like, you've, you've heard us say those phrases over and over and over again, and some of y'all are probably saying, say what? Like, what does that mean? How does that work? What are you talking about? That just seems like this really mystical Thing. Well, I want to show you, not using my own words, but using the words of the Bible, I want to show you that this is, in fact, a gospel promise that Jesus made to us. We didn't come up with this on our own. Um, this is something that Jesus declared is true of us. We see it all throughout the New Testament scriptures. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about why that matters, to be a people who understand that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that the life of Christ is meant to be lived in you, through you, and as you, and kind of how that shapes out in the practical, ordinary stuff of your 
life. And so um, I, I want to start in John uh, 14. Um, and if you have your Bibles, you, you're probably just going to need to park there because I'm going to hit about 17 or 18 scriptures today. Um, so pull out a notepad, write them down as we go so you can go back and read them. We won't have time for everybody to get flipped to them before we read it. We're just going to kind of rattle off a bunch of scriptures. Let me just start with some of the scriptures, not all, but some of the scriptures that like declare that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that he actually shows up to take up residence in you. Literally, that you would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that the life of Christ now takes up residence in your heart if you are a follower of Jesus who have declared him as king and Lord of your life. Let's start with John 14 when Jesus himself said this. Jesus was talking to the uh, disciples, letting them know that he was going to be leaving pretty shortly, um, but he was going to go to heaven and prepare a place for them at his father's house. There were many rooms, and if that weren't so, he wouldn't have told them that, but he's going to go and prepare a place for them, and when it's time to come and get them, he will come and get them to be with him where he is. So he's already talking about the future tense promise and the hope we have in the gospel. But hey, what about in the meantime? Jesus, you can't leave us right now. Things are getting really tricky in ancient Rome. Life's difficult. It's challenging. Not to mention you're our lead pastor. Like we, You're the one that kind of shows us what to do. What are we going to do? And this is what Jesus says to them. I'm going to ask my father, chapter 14, verse 16. Listen closely. So much of what we're going to talk about today is summed up in this section. Jesus says, I'm going to ask my father, and he's going to give you another helper, capital H, say helper. He's going to give you another helper, listen closely, Grace Bible, to be with you for how long? How long? When he shows up, how long is he going to hang out? So at what point is he going to leave? You get that? I'm going to ask my father to send you a helper, capital H, who's going to be with you forever. He ain't going to come and go. He's not going to stick around for a while. He's going to be here once and for all, for all time, through your entire life as a follower of Jesus. Um, even, verse 17, his name is going to be the Spirit of Truth. This is how we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Capital S, capital H, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you forever. Now, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him or knows him. Those who don't believe don't get him. It's only for those who believers, and you know him, for he dwells with you. Listen closely. This is Jesus' words. That Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be, what's that word? In you. This is Jesus' words. I've done this because, verse 18, I'm not going to leave you alone as orphans. I know you're worried about me pulling out of here, but... My Holy Spirit is going to be with you and be in you. My life is going to be with you and in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come to you. You see, this is Jesus talking, saying he's going to come to us. Like, this is him declaring that he and the Holy Spirit are one. We see several times throughout Scripture where he says that he and the Father are one. Now we get to see Jesus say, the Holy Spirit, it's me, and I'm going to come live in you. I'll be back. I'm going to come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you're going to see me. Because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Let that resonate for just a second. There's a big difference, Grace Bible, between believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and believing Jesus. Believing in Jesus will get you saved. Believing in his words and his work on the salvation, of salvation, that he died on the cross for our sins, that'll get you saved. But when he says stuff like this, you're going to have to make the decision if you believe him and what he has told you. It don't always feel like he's in me. And I sure don't always act like it. Ask Ansley. But he says, I'm going to be with you, not just that, I'm going to be in you forever. Once you become mine, my life is going to be lived in you forever. This helper, this guide, it's, this is why Jesus told the apostles that, no, 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 like I need to go and be with the Father in heaven because you guys are going to accomplish more, far more than I ever did. 
which we're thinking, man, who could possibly accomplish more than Jesus? Well, when Jesus puts himself in every believer on planet Earth, then all of a sudden we get really potent. Now we got hundreds of thousands, millions of Jesuses. He's living his life out through us and as us and for us to those that would surrender and submit and understand this mysterious but powerful gospel truth that Jesus is in you. He is, his life is in you. Let's keep going and look at some other passages. How about John 17, 26, just a few pages to the right. Jesus says these words, I may known to them your name. This is Jesus speaking to the Father as he's praying. He's praying to God the Father, and he says, God, Father, I, I made known to them your name, and I'm going to continue to make it known that the love in which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The love of the Father dwells completely in the Son, and the Son dwells completely in you, so that equals the love of the Father is completely yours in Christ Jesus. All up in you. Not just enough for you, but enough to be displayed through you even when you don't feel like loving. Because his love is limitless, isn't it? How about this? Colossians 1.27 to them, those who believe, those who follow, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. I told you even Paul called it a mystery. The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you. The hope of glory. Do you believe Jesus? Or you just simply stop at believing in him? Do you believe what he said? I'm moving in. Your life. I'm not just going to hang out from time to time when you're not doing bad stuff. I'm going to dwell within you. I'm going to be a part of all of it. What about this, Colossians 2, 9 and 10? Man, this one's powerful. This one's really been resonating with me in my life lately. For in him, in Christ, all right, who's him? Give me, give, give me your best Sunday school answer, who's him? Yep, Jesus Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity, his godness, all right? The whole fullness of God dwells bodily. And this is where the church of Jesus Christ says, amen, yeah. You get a lot of head bobbing. A good Bible-believing churches. Yeah, Jesus is the complete embodiment of all of God and all of his character and all of his deity. It's, it is in Christ. Jesus is God, and, I, and we all say amen to that. But we put a period at the end of that sentence instead of a comma. Because it says, comma, the fullness of the deity of God dwells in Christ, and you have been filled in him. Most Christ followers on planet earth today are camping out on that comma between 9 and 10. Look closely. We'll get our amens and say, Jesus is God in the flesh. The fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. And the church says, amen, hallelujah. And the fullness of that deity dwells in you. What? Because we're camped out on a comma. Do you just simply believe in Jesus and the work that he's done for you? Do you actually believe what he said? Uh, my goal today in this conversation is to get us to graduate from the comma to the rest of that promise. To, to kind of move us out of that, recognizing the present tense power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and move us on to the next part of that verse in verse 10 to say the fullness of him dwells in you because Jesus who bears the fullness of deity is in you. We'll get to why this matters here in just a minute. Colossians chapter three, verse three and four says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life now who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What does that mean for Christ to be my life? Well, Galatians 2.20 explains it well. It says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. There it is again. There he is again. Pulled up shop, moved into the neighborhood, in the human heart, and the human experience. How about Romans 5.5? 5? Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit, full of hope, a full declaration of the hope, now dwells within us. How about this, Romans 8, 9 through 11. For those who are believers, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, because you have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells within you, period. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. They haven't submitted their lives to him, so he didn't move in. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, these old skin suits we wear are rotten and decaying on their best day, aren't they? Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, well, that's a powerful thought. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see this like reoccurring theme? Jesus says, I am in you, I am in you, I am in you. I'm not just with you, like I am in you. My Holy Spirit has come to dwell within your life. He broke out of the temples made by human hands and moved into the temple that he created, the human heart. The only way that that would have been possible, by the way, is like the perfect sacrifice because God only dwells in the holiest of places. That's a declaration. When he moved into us, that just declared to us that we are holier than even the ancient temple. I don't feel holy. I don't look holy. Show don't act holy. But he has declared us and made us holy. So he tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom in the moment that Jesus breathed his last breath and poured out his blood to forgive the sins of those who would believe, to pay the cost. And then God tore the veil of the temple in Jerusalem from top to bottom just to declare to us there was now a holier place for him to dwell. He wasn't hanging out in the temple anymore. He had created for himself a new temple, the human heart. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body is a temple? Like we see this reoccurring theme over and over again that Jesus has come to take up residence in us, to live his life in us, in us, through us, and as us. I wanted to show you in the word of God that that's happening because honestly, for a couple of reasons. First, let me just dispel some of our bad Old Testament theology that we try to bring into this new covenant. And then secondly, uh, let let me explain to you why this matters in your everyday ordinary lives. Um, let's just start with the reason why a lot of people camp out on the comma on that particular verse that I showed you a little while ago is because we're trying to be a new covenant people that have salvation through Christ Jesus and him alone. We believe in the hope of heaven. We believe in his work on the cross, but yet we're trying to hang on to and drag a bunch of old covenant theology into our new covenant existence. You can't do that. It just doesn't work. Jesus taught, God told us even in the prophets that one day he was going to give us a new covenant, one that was sufficient. The old covenant was insufficient. I mean, it would have had you having to make sacrifices all the time, standing out in the heat of the temple, uh, heat of the day, waiting at, waiting at the temple to bring your lamb to slaughter while your kids are running around. There's no vending machines anywhere nearby. Like the old covenant was insufficient, not to mention it. After you made the sacrifice for your sins, you'd have to come back. It wasn't enough to cover all your future sins. It was just enough to temporarily cover the ones that were behind you so that God would divert his wrath for a time. It's an insufficient covenant. Hebrews tells us that. God knew that it was an insufficient covenant, so Jesus showed up so that we could have a full and complete covenant with God. He became the sacrifice once and for all, for all time. He didn't cover up our sins. He paid for them so that they could be cast finally as far as the east is from west. Past, present, and future, completely forgiven. Isn't that good news? So what, but we make a mistake of trying to drag old covenant theology into our new covenant existence. He, he fulfilled all of that for us. And then we get these ideas, the reason why it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, because it's going to affect all the things of your life, the way you live your life, but it also affects us in the simple ways of the way we pray, the way we understand the presence of God. I remember growing up, man, I grew up in a church that loved Jesus, loved to talk about Jesus, but had one foot in the old covenant and one foot in the new, not understanding that Jesus had come to do away with the old covenant so that we could walk and get it afresh in the new. And so we'd sing one of the, like one of the songs that our choir would sing that I loved and I'd sing along. I mean, it's still in my head right now. Is that they would sing this song. Oh, we can't have church till the Holy Ghost shows up. Y'all heard that song before? Just another Sunday gathering 
until the fire falls from above. Right here, right now, we need the Spirit's touch. And when the Holy Ghost shows up, we'll have church. That was the song. Saying that like, man, y'all said it before, I've said it, but I don't think, man, the Spirit wasn't there today. Or you had a really awesome experience, and you went and told everybody, man, the Spirit of God was there today. So thick, so real. That's a bunch of Old Testament theology. If we can't have church till the Holy Ghost shows up, that we just need to kind of call down the heavens and ask God to show up is a misunderstanding of what he has told us is true. I just read that when his Holy Spirit arrived, and it happened in Acts chapter 2, that he would be with us. How long again? When was he going to leave? So in the Old Testament, like the Spirit of God would come and go. He would rest on people for a certain amount of time for a certain purpose, and then he would leave, or he would, he would, he would kind of surround them in a gathering of worship, and his Holy Spirit would arrive, and like it, it was the idea that the Spirit of God would just come and go, and we've drugged that into our New Covenant theology, forgetting that when he showed up, he was here to stay. And so no, God already told us he doesn't dwell in buildings made by human hands. This is not his temple anymore. You are. And so he got here when you got here. That's what the gospel teaches us. For those that believe the spirit of God who dwelled, the fullness of the deity of God that dwells within you, he got here when you got here. He doesn't hang out here when we're not here. So if you feel like you need to call it, this is good news for me in a lot of ways. So if you've ever felt the need to call me in the middle of the night because you needed to get into the presence of God and you wanted me to come unlock the door, I say you need to get in the presence of God right there in your bedroom and don't be calling me at this hour again. He's not at the building. He don't hang out here when we're not here. He's too busy existing amidst us, in us, through us in our lives. This is why he decided to multiply himself, to dwell within the life of every believer. This is really, really good news. Why this matters for your everyday ordinary life is, we won't have time to talk about this one today because there's just a lot of layers to it, but when the Spirit of God dwells within you, he has imparted gifts on us that are just expressions of his character and his skills. You can read some about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when uh, Paul kind of breaks out a bunch of the different spiritual gifts uh, from the gifts of mercy and teaching and prophecy and healing and miracles and tongues and interpretation and helps and like just encouragement and like the gifts of the Spirit. Like so God gives us these gifts so that when the body comes together, there is a completeness. I can serve you with what I got, and you can serve me with what you got. And when we're all gathering in one place, we get to see just the fullness of God being displayed as we serve and love one another. This is why Hebrews tells us, like, don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren, as some are in the habit of doing. This is why, like, online church is cool, and it's nice to kind of buy the time or maybe while you're on vacation, but we've got to be together for that to work like it's supposed to work. We've got to gather. We've got to have meals. We've got to open up the word together so that all the gifts of the body are being displayed and shared amongst the group. The, the, the life of the Christian wasn't meant to be lived in isolation. Isolation is the devil's playground. We were meant to be together. It's powerful when we join and gather together. But I didn't want to focus as much on like what God plans to do through your life, through the gifts he's given you. I really wanted to talk today about what he plans to do to you through his Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Uh, one of the places that we need to land is uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, those of you that know what the fruits of the Spirit are. Let me just rattle them off for you real quick by asking this question. All right, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I learned all those in order because of the VeggieTales song. <laughs> Songs help me remember stuff. Okay, how many of you could use a little more love in your life? A little more joy, a little more peace, a little more patience, a little more kindness, goodness, or self-control. I mean, how, how many of us would say, I could use more of that for me, and I could probably also stand to give more of that to the people around us? Well, now that you know that the Spirit of the living God dwells within you, I just showed you in the Word. I didn't try to make some argument. I just showed you the Scriptures. You decide whether you believe Jesus or not. Now that the fullness of the deity of the life of Christ lives within you, 
I want to remind you, Galatians 5.22 is the fruits of the Spirit. It's not the list of Christian behaviors that we need to try to figure out how to conjure up because we're Christians. This wasn't a list from the Apostle Paul that says, now that you are saved, you need to figure out how to be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, because shame on you if you don't. Jesus would. Why haven't you? No, he said, these are the fruits of the Spirit that dwells in you. This is why Jesus tells us in John 15, cling to the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me will bear much fruit, but those who do not abide in me, those who are apart from me, can do nothing. This is the whole abiding in the vine, that the life of the vine might be displayed through the branches. No branch ever has ever borne fruit apart from a vine. Snatch a branch off an orange tree in your yard. See if it keeps producing. It has to be connected to the vine. It's the life of the vine that creates the fruit. Branches don't produce fruit, they just display it. And we're told in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that is going to be displayed through a life that is going to cling to Jesus, that learns to understand that the life of the Holy Spirit of God dwells within them, that learns to submit all the stuff of life to Jesus, the fruit that they're going to be producing, the universal fruit is, well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's the one doing it. We're just doing the surrendering and the submitting. We're the one changing our prayer when we're angry and saying, God, uh, oh, g g give me more love for this person. Give me more love for this person. I can't stand that joker and the horse he rode in on. Our prayers start to change because we understand the truth of the gospel and say, God, you know I ran out of love for this guy a long time ago. But I know that the spirit of the living God that dwells within me has a million miles of love and supply for this guy. So would your life, with the spirit of Christ within me, display the love of Christ to this person through me? I can't do it without you. I'm clinging to the vine. I'm just the branch. You're the vine. And may the love of Christ be displayed. All right, let's keep going. I'll rattle off a few more for you for how it impacts your life. Not just the expressions of the character of God, but... Um, how many of you could use the reminder from time to time that you are accepted and loved by God, our King? Especially after you really messed it up? Well, this is part of what the Holy Spirit does who dwells within you. Romans 8, 16 says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's that subtle reminder in that dark hour of your life when you really messed it up and you hear the subtle whisper and, you're tr and you try to decide whether to believe it or not. You hear the subtle whisper of the Spirit of God that dwells within you. You are mine. I love you. You are secure. You are accepted. The Spirit of God, that's what he does. Not only that, but how many of you are going through a thing in your life where you could use a little extra prayer right now? Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't even know what to pray for as we ought to sometimes, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You need some prayer support in your life right now? The spirit of the living God that dwells within you, he sees that anxiety. He feels the worry like he, he's in you. You can't hide it from him. He's watching your blood pressure go up. The spirit of the living God dwells within you. He is making utterances. He is speaking to God in a heavenly language that we don't have access to. He's praying the stuff that you can't even form words for. He knows you that intimately, that sincerely, and he is praying for you round the clock, the Holy Spirit. This is why it matters that you know, oh believer, that the Spirit of God dwells within you. He's praying for you. He's reminding you of God's love and affection and affirmation for you as his child. What about you? You need a little more hope? Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in him, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You need a second wind in your sails. You need just hope to refresh and restore your soul for whatever it is that is looming on the horizon. You need just hope to see beyond that struggle and that tension. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that is within you, that is full of hope all the time and will fill you with hope and joy when you submit and lean on him, when you learn to submit to his leadership 
in your life. Uh, we need this one, John 16, 8. It says, and when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Thank God for that one. He's going to tap us on the shoulder and say, um, Dustin, you used to feel comfortable in that place doing that thing. But now the spirit of the living God, the fullness of the deity of God dwells within you. And we, we don't feel comfortable there. And that place in your mind and that place in your mouth and that place that you go with your feet and that thing that you do, there's conviction of sin, conviction totally different than guilt. It's not a how dare you, what are you doing? This is the spirit of living God dwells. When he promised to never leave you or forsake you, he wasn't messing around. He's going with you to the things you want him at. He's going with, to you with the things that you wanted to leave him at the house for. He's there. He's in you. Convicting of sin. That's why there's a dissonance in the heart of the believer. When, when we're doing the thing, saying the thing, when we're walking in sin, there's just a certain, there's a, there's a void. There, there's no peace. There's a dissonance in the heart because the Holy Spirit within you is saying, man, I don't feel comfortable here. Do you? Mm. What about this one, man? I, I pray this probably more than anything else I pray in my life. This truth right here, Colossians 3.15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Notice that it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know why he says let it? Because it's there. Changes the way I pray. He's not saying pray to God for peace and he'll give you peace. As if peace was some external thing that God had to bestow upon us. He said, no, the peace of Christ is in your heart, so let it rule your heart. That's gospel right there. The peace of, you are not at peace because of whatever it is that you're experiencing. But I tell you, Jesus is in your heart the same way he was in that boat with the disciples when the hurricane hit. He's at such perfect peace. He is still and calm and collected. And the reason why we're learning to submit our lives to the leadership of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is within us because we run out of peace real quick. You're one phone call away from your peace getting robbed if you're peaceful this morning. It, can, it comes and goes like that, but the Spirit of God does not, and he's always at perfect peace. And he who is at perfect peace can keep you in perfect peace because it's the peace of Christ that is in your heart. So learn to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. I tell you, the way I... I don't know how to tell you to do this. I'm going to be honest with you. It is part of the mystery of gospel. Here's how I am learning to do this. I'm just learning to change the way I pray. I'm declaring what is true even though my feelings haven't quite caught up to it yet. And I just tell the Lord in my prayers, Lord, I, I have ran out of peace. And I am not feeling peaceful about this at all. But I know that the peace of Christ is in me because the life of Christ is in me. So, Lord... I submit myself, I'm just, I'm asking, I'm, I'm letting the peace of Christ rule in my heart, be my peace. May your peace take over my angst. And I just begin to talk to God about what I know to be true, I just don't know how to travel across the bridge to get there yet, so I just let him know that. And that's me surrendering, letting him fill my heart with peace. And it's been powerful to see how God has done that in some times that quite frankly were unexpected. What about John 14, 26? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He's a teacher. He's a reminder. For those of you that have confessed Jesus as Lord and you've been spending time in his word throughout your life, it's amazing how in the right moment at the right time, the Spirit will just bring to you a piece of his word that was meant for you. Or he may send somebody to you to say it to you. But he's a teacher. He's a reminder of the things that are true. We need to be reminded in those hard times. What about John 16, 13, and 14? It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. He is a an advocate for the voice of God in your life. He is speaking and reminding you of the things that are true. And I tell you what, that's really important this day and age because every time you flip on that TV, the enemy's trying to lay a lie in your heart. Ladies, every time you're in the grocery store aisle and you see those pictures of perfection of these women that have had extraordinary work done on their bodies and all the, all the uh, pho photography tricks to make them look like a picture of perfection, like, and that lie kind of gets deposited into your heart. Like this reminded the Holy Spirit saying, that's not true. God is so big, the beauty that he creates is not skin deep. 
And that old skin suit is going to age and decay and fall apart. But the beauty that comes from the Lord comes from within. Oh, and oh, it's beautiful. It's far more beautiful than skin or makeup or hair. Fellas, you need to be reminded of the truth that you don't need to meet your needs, your legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Through anger or pornography or whatever it is. It's a spirit of truth reminding you that, hey, man, this isn't true. This is a lie being deposited into your heart. This isn't the word and ways of God. He is better for you. He is a greater satisfier than anything else could ever be. What about Acts 1.8? We've used that one a lot. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witness. Some of you are trying to figure out how in the world to be a missionary, to heed the call of the word of God, to make disciples, to reach your friends, to share the gospel with a family member. Well, the power comes from the Holy Spirit. Cling to the vine. You're just the branch. You just submit yourself to him and invite him. Father, I'm going on this trip with this family member. Lord, I I don't know how to broach the conversation to be a witness, but I know that your spirit that dwells within me is committed to to reaching that person. So God, I just, I surrender this trip to you. I surrender myself to you. And Father, use me however you see fit. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna trust and I'm just gonna wait and I'm just gonna pray. Father, use me. Listen, to go this Second mile life, Pastor Cameron says it all, this, all the time, the second mile life, cheek turning, forgiving, 70 times seven, life of Christ. The, this full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, life of Christ. That's full of wisdom, full of hope, full of power that can move mountains and resurrect the dead. That life of Jesus dwells within you. The fullness of deity dwells in him and he dwells within you. So really the work of every Christian is not to become more like Jesus because you just can't. Really the work of every Christian, quite honestly, is learning to submit all the stuff of life to the leadership of Jesus. In other words, like Paul said to the Colossians, learning to let. Learning to let. Learning to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Learning to let the wisdom of Christ rule in your mind and the joy of Christ rule in your attitude and the kindness of Christ rule in your relationships and the gentleness of Christ rule in your marriage because all of these things are perfectly yours because Jesus does them perfectly and he is in you forever. That's good news. So the work of discipleship now, it's not learning to be more like Jesus Every week we get on this stage, we gather in our small groups, we gather in classrooms, and really what we're doing is we're learning to let. We're learning to submit. We're learning to open ourselves up that the life of Christ might be on full display through us. He's committed to it, and the good news is he's far more committed to it than you could ever be. You just step into the batter's box and lay down your life before him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your peace and all of the things Your Holy Spirit is alive and well. I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that we haven't been left alone, orphaned from God. Lord, you have come to not just be with us, but be in us. So, God, we need to learn how to reconcile that with our lives. Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit to to teach us. You are the teacher. You've said that one of the things you're going to do is teach. So I pray that you would teach every person that sits in this room what it looks like to let. And Father, I pray that they would see the beautiful fruit of the life of Jesus being displayed on their branches. In Jesus' name, amen.